Our reading this morning comes from the book of Micah. And so while you're turning to that, uh, just to say this morning what we'll do is we'll have a sort of an introduction to the book and to the idea uh, behind the book. And then in the following weeks we'll, we'll start working our way through uh, bit by bit. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to read... Uh, Micah chapter 1 verse 1, to which you may delight and think, well, today is going to be the shortest sermon we've had in two years, if it's just on one brief descriptive verse. What I'm also going to do is I will uh, include Micah chapter 6 verse 8, just to frame, as it were, the, the direction of the book. So, Micah chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And then picking up in chapter 6, verse 8, we find very much the heart of this book. He, that is God, has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? As we go through uh, the book of Micah, we're going to be seeing how that verse works itself out in all the various sections of the book. There's a great variety of things we'll find in the book of Micah. There is great encouragement. There is also um, great condemnation, both of God's people and of the world around them. And as we go through it, I trust we'll be encouraged and challenged today in the 21st century and not just look back and think, well, this is an interesting historical note from uh, several thousand years ago. But we hear the word of the Lord that came to Micah. And that word is that God desires his people to walk in a way that is embodying justice and loving kindness and humility. Our loving Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your goodness to us in giving us your word. Lord, we know that many of The books we read of in Scripture come to us from nearly 3,000 years ago. And yet, Lord, it is still living and active and relevant to us today. And so we pray as we consider these opening words, Lord, that you spoke to Micah so long ago. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see why they are so real and so living and vital for us here so many thousands of years down the road. Lord God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you might bless us as we gather around it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've spent any time watching the news over the last few months, in fact over the last year particularly, uh, then the subject of justice is never far from uh, if not newsreaders' lips, then the theme that they are speaking on Constantly, we've had uh, so much talk about justice during the uh, uh, the premiership of Boris Johnson uh, for various reasons. We've gone through um, the the whole episode of Brexit, and we're still dealing with the fallout from that, as we will be, no doubt, for many years to come. But justice and doing what is right has been uh, at the centre of that debate, and depending on who you listen to, uh, you'll have a very different view on what is right in that situation. You find the same, especially over the last few weeks, in light of 
the revelations of parties in Downing Street and whether Boris Johnson was there, whether he wasn't there, whether he knew the parties were there, when he was there and didn't know they were parties and all the rest of uh, that mess that's gone on. And we find the same um, across the pond in the United States where during the presidency of uh, Joe Biden we've had much talk about justice, about doing what is right and he was elected very much on uh, that idea that he, in contrast to the previous incumbent of the White House, would do what was right by immigrants coming over the southern border or their relationships with other countries around the world or their relationships with their own poor um, in the United States. Justice is always a bit of a hot-button issue. And it's always a hot-button issue for much the same reason as it was in Micah's day, that we like to talk about justice in a sort of vague sense. It, it's good for us to say that we want justice to be done, but when we push a little deeper and explore what justice actually means, it all starts to get a little bit hazy and less well-defined. And in contrast to what we so often say, we actually like that. We like justice to be loosely defined, to be, a little bit, um, to be a little bit fuzzy around the edges, because it means that we are able to say we stand for justice. Nobody, as far as I'm aware in the history of the world, has stood and said they love standing for injustice. Everybody says they stand for justice. But it means that we then can do pretty much whatever we want, if it's ill-defined, and still say we stand for justice. Boris Johnson, I'm quite sure, is able to say he is standing for justice, despite the fact half the House of Commons are screaming at him every single day that he must resign because of the injustice of going to parties and hosting parties when the whole nation has been in lockdown and we haven't been allowed to be at the bedside of those who are sick and dying. We haven't been able to go to the weddings uh, or the funerals of the ones that we love because of the restrictions that have been put in place. Interestingly enough, not to batter Boris Johnson too much, in a report from his, uh, one of his schoolmasters um, during his school days when he was a 17-year-old, we have these words which have been released to the public. They were written by a schoolmaster to his dad in 1982, which was a very auspicious year, uh, the year that I was born. I'm sure that makes some of you feel very old and some of you make feel very young. But in 1982, the schoolmaster said to Stanley Johnson, I think he, this is Boris, honestly believes that it is churlish of us not to regard him as an exception, one who should be free of the network of obligation that binds everyone else. Which, I think you can see, hasn't really changed very much uh, over the years. Now, the reason I say this, and I do so not to bash Boris Johnson, the reason I say this is because Boris Johnson has simply been exposed publicly for what we all in our heart of hearts believe to some degree or another. Because this is what sin does to human beings. Sin, if you remember in the Garden of Eden, uh, separates Adam and Eve out from God in the sense that God has told them where they should go and what they should do, the sort of lives they should live in this wonderful world he's made for them to live in. And it helps them to, or it pushes them to, to put themselves in that place of God and say, well, you get to define what is right and wrong, what is good and what is evil. That's what the serpent tempts them with, isn't it? When he says, but 
But God's reserving that privilege for himself. And isn't that unfair? Isn't that unjust? You could do that if you would just eat the fruit because God knows you'll be just like him. So eat it. And they do. And that is exactly what they seek to do every moment of every day for the rest of their lives. It's what we, born in sin, in light of their first sin, do every day. We seek to define what is right and what is wrong. And Boris Johnson is simply doing that very thing. He's defining for himself what is right and wrong. And what it seems to be is right and wrong for him is whatever he wants to do. Sin leads us all to a different standard. A different standard for ourselves, a different standard for those around us. And we're quite content to live like that. Because it means we can say that we are just and uphold justice, while at the same time doing pretty much whatever we choose. The finger of justice pointed back towards us is the problem. That's what we don't like. And that is very much what God is speaking to amongst the people of Micah's day. Because injustice has come to define God's people in Micah's days. It defines all people in the world. But God has called this people to be special. To be separate. To identify justice not as what they think it is, but what God thinks it is. And live their lives in light of that. And they haven't been doing it. They've been saying they have, but they haven't. And so as we read these words today, we live in a whole world that screams justice, but can't define it. Can't offer any concrete standard that says, this is what justice is, and we all, regardless of whether you are born in 21st century Livingston, or 1st century uh, Saudi Arabia, or South Africa, or China, or whatever it might be, that we all are held to. That we're held to regardless of uh, the kind of government we have, or the sort of constitution that our country runs on, or the way that we see um, other societies in light of our self-identity as a nation. Our world loves the idea of justice, and the reason is that our world is made in the image of God. And God is the embodiment of justice. He himself is justice. And so we all know we ought to be just. We just aren't really that sure how to do it. And so we're making it up as we go along. And so as we face a world today which will say to you that in order to be just, we should give more voice to women than men in our society because men have oppressed women over the history of our nation. And that's what justice is. And we should listen more to people who have uh, black skin or brown skin than we should to people with white skin, because people with white skin have horrendously oppressed people with different colour skin to them, then we should listen to those rather than, than white people. That is justice. We should listen to people who are poor rather than people who are rich, because the rich daily oppress the poor, and so that is justice. In the face of all of that, which will change every ten minutes, depending on who the most aggrieved person in society feels like, we are able to say, this is what justice is regardless of who you are, or where you've come from, what your skin color's like, what your ethnicity, your cultural background, your language, your relative level of poverty or wealth, regardless of all of that, here is what justice is. And if we all live according to this standard, then we will see society truly changed. Because that is the desire of uh, the great warriors for justice in our age, is to change society and make us more just, but we can't do it. 
in our own strength. If the standard shifts and changes every ten minutes according to a new uh, standard that we've dreamt up with this morning. So, what does the word of the Lord have to say to us today? What is justice today? We're going to explore that over the coming few weeks uh, and months. But to begin with, we find in the opening verse of Micah an outline of all of this. And we find in this opening verse the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth. As the book opens, we're introduced to this character. Well, we're introduced to two characters, the Lord and his prophet Micah. Micah's name means who is like the Lord. This is going to be deeply significant as we go through the book because this question that is the prophet's name is going to be answered again and again in a variety of different circumstances and in all sorts of different ways depending on who he's speaking to and and what's going on. And it's going to show us uh, a picture, as it were, of the Lord, of the Lord's character, particularly with regards to this issue of justice. Who is like the Lord? Who is like this Lord who is kind and loving and merciful and yet is perfectly just, even if it means dealing harshly with his own people who have become unjust, unjust, however we want to put it. As we go through the book, we are going to be drawn to ask that question of the same God who loves us. This book was written thousands of years ago. And yet we have the same God today who still blesses us and treats us with perfect justice today. And so we ask as individuals and as a church and as a society, who is like the Lord? The Lord who demands that every injustice be answered fully to the ultimate degree. That every sin must be fully paid for and that payment must be the death of the one who committed it. So great is the depth and the blackness of that sin. Who is like the Lord who must hold up that standard of justice because that is who he is and yet sends his own son to die in the place of sinful unjust people. Who is like the Lord who holds us to a standard of living once we have received that salvation that goes way above and beyond anything our society says is good? Our society holds up this great standard of justice and yet the standard the Lord requires us to live up to goes way beyond that. Puts that societal standard to shame. And yet, who is like this Lord who in calling us to that kind of life gives us the power to actually live it out? Who is like the Lord who uses us to go into his world in his name and bless people all around us who don't want or deserve this God to lift them up from darkness and from condemnation because of their sin, just like he did with us, and bless them beyond measure? Who is like our God? God's word to Micah is not just for an Israel bygone in the mists of time millennia ago. It is for us today and it is just as relevant today as it was then. Because our people and the world around us us struggle with justice just as they did back then. And so, as we come to the book of Micah, we have this question answered by the name of the prophet himself. Who is like the Lord? 
And it's a question that we'll ask and we'll find the answer to. We find it's not the word of the Lord comes to Micah of Moresheth. He's simply the messenger as it were. But it is to this man of this place that it comes. I mean, there's a sense in which God could have raised up any man. But he chooses to raise up somebody who, unlike other prophets in the Bible, isn't known for doing something or belonging to a family of someone's. It is Micah of Moresheth. Now, Moresheth is just a town like any other town. It's not particularly significant in any sense. You know, it's not like Jerusalem or Samaria who get a mention in this verse. It's just a town. But Micah is, as it were, set apart from the people amongst whom he, he lives, from his family. He is not the son of someone. He's not connected to a specific family or um, division of God's people. He is not identified as being a Levite or a priest or anything else. He is this person from that town. And the significance of that is that he is, in a sense, a professional prophet. I hate using that word, but I can't figure another word to use in its place. He, it doesn't matter where he's come from. It doesn't matter to which family he belongs. It doesn't matter what credentials he has. This is all he is. He's just a guy from a town. But the word of the Lord has come to him. And he's not out watching sheep. He's not advising um, kings in some official capacity. He's simply Micah from this town, not that far from Jerusalem in the south of Israel. He doesn't do anything else. This is his work. His work is to proclaim the word of the Lord. And he does so. He's free from the constraint of being connected to the king in Jerusalem. So he can speak to the king in Samaria, knowing that this is not some partisan politics coming into play. He's able to speak to his own king in Jerusalem, knowing that he is not speaking as it were, from any position of power or authority because of where the king has placed him, he's just a guy. And we hear God speaking through him to the world. We'll find that in chapter 1 as we go into it uh, in the weeks to come. We find him speaking to Israel's corrupt leaders in chapter 3. We find him speaking to God's people as a whole in chapter 6. And we'll find other prophets in the Old Testament saying, Micah of Moresheth said this to the king, and this is what happened. And this is what we need to hear today, isn't it? We all have ideas about what could and should be done to solve the problems of our lives, of our church, of our nation and in the world. But what we need is someone with a perspective that isn't constrained by sin, which is the root of the problem that needs to be addressed in the first place. We need to hear the word of the Lord that comes to us from someone who has no vested interest in the life of Livingston or Ladywell Baptist Church or the Western Hemisphere or whatever it might be. Micah speaks to us as an impartial person because there's a sense in which he isn't anyone. He's just a guy. But he is someone that the Lord has set apart and spoken through. Interestingly enough, this is not a vision that came to Micah. This is not something that Micah did. This is the word of the Lord. And there's a sense in which what follows after that is almost not significant. It is the word of the Lord, and that is what we need to hear. And when we focus 
our eyes on the contents page of our Bible and we look at all the various books of the Bible, we can see this is exactly what Scripture is. It's got a terrible rap over the last few years and decades because it's just a dusty old book like many other dusty old holy books that other religions have. And so why should we care about what it says? But as we read the Word of the Lord, we recognize it is a Word that comes directly from God. And it is not favorable to God's people. We're going to find some really harsh words of doom proclaimed over God's own people in this book. And God does that unflinchingly because He knows the gravity of what is at stake here. They are His people tasked with spreading His love and His lordship throughout the whole world and they're not doing it because they're so busy feathering their own nest. They're too busy lining their own pockets, trampling the poor into the dirt and keeping the money for themselves. And so God pronounces doom and destruction over them. And these will be some of the hardest passages for us to read as we go through the book. And if you've read any of the prophets, then you'll be aware of that. There's some really difficult bits. What do we do with this? When God says essentially to his people, I'm just going to crush you and I'm not going to listen to a word you have to say. Well, we'll deal with that. But what we always find in the prophets, and we always find in Micah especially, is that along with doom is the great proclamation of hope. We find God will lay bare their injustices, their great idolatry of wealth and power and influence. And he will expose them to the great standard of justice that he sets before them. And as they despair at ever being able to move from where they are to that place, he will reveal his plan of redemption to lift them from one to the other because they cannot do it themselves. It's a picture that that I've been reminded of a lot this past week. I don't know why, perhaps because it's been on my mind and so it's been a theme that I've been looking for in the world around me. But... um, But Sophie is still of an age and of a size where she can't reach a lot of stuff in our house, but she desperately wants to. And so you get a lot of hands in the air saying, can you pick me up? I want to reach so-and-so. I'd like a snack. Could you take me to the cupboard and just lift me up and I'll choose? Okay. But she can't do it herself. She'll try. She'll almost certainly give it a very enthusiastic try, but she'll not do it. She's not able And in the same way, Israel is going to be brought to that same realization that they must simply place their hands in the air and say to their father, can you lift me? And God will do it. And Micah reveals that to them after he tells them just how far they need to be lifted. This is a word that we need to hear ourselves. A word that our world desperately needs to hear. For all our talk about justice... All that you hear in the news and all that you see on social media um, about justice or social justice or whatever else it might be is pure self-medication. It is an attempt to make us feel good about who we are, to cleanse ourselves from past sins and to make us feel good about where we are just now or to give us some hope for the future that we might someday be better people if we can just do away with all the stuff that's held us back and has blackened uh, our character. But it won't work. Because the standard isn't high enough. Sounds strange to say that, doesn't it? That the impossible standard that our society places upon itself just now isn't high enough. 
We're told all the time, uh, you hear it every ten years or so in, in the news, um, that some person standing up somewhere saying that Britain should make reparations to India. We should pay money to India for the terrible treatment of their people and the famines that, that in part we caused there and, and so on. You hear that all the time, we should make reparations to countries across Africa for the slave trade and so on. And nobody ever asks how that would ever work or, or why we're stopping at that point in history and not going a few hundred or a thousand years further back. Should Scotland demand reparations from Italy for the terrible oppression of our people by the Romans? I don't know. I don't know why we're not bothering about that, but we do bother about things closer in time at some arbitrary point in our nation's history. But even those impossible standards where we have to somehow apologize to the world for something our ancestors did, which we can't really do, that standard isn't high enough. What we need is to be completely stripped bare and cleansed and be raised from death to life. And our world needs to hear that. And I can't help but feel the struggle of the church in the West over the past number of decades, the past century, it really comes in no small part because we simply don't want to tell the world that or don't know how to tell the world that in a way that they'll be able to understand. And that's where Micah comes in. He helps us to understand. And he helps us to tell the world what the world needs to hear. We find that God reveals his word to us. He reveals his word to us because we are a wayward people. We find the word of the Lord comes to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, interestingly enough, there are no northern kings here. It's things that he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria is the capital of Israel in the north. Judah's uh, capital is Jerusalem, which is in the south. And only southern kings are mentioned. Now, I suspect the reason for that is that Israel is ultimately completely destroyed because of its sinfulness. It is so far gone that the Assyrians come and conquer them and they never return from that. Judah will have its own experience of exile, but it will come back, uh, as we find uh, looking through their history. There is still hope for the nation of Judah. This is the remnant that God is preserving to bring forth a saviour, not just for his people, but for the whole world. But when we read this, we realise that God is speaking to his people not because they're better than everyone else. Not because Israel is better or Judah is better. He's speaking to them precisely because they're wayward and they're failing. And the language of Micah is language that we use, especially at Christmas time, um, where God speaks to his people and says, even though you are tiny and insignificant, a saviour is going to come from among your people that will bless the whole world. It's far more than you ever deserve for all of your smallness. God speaks to his people specifically because they are wayward. And he speaks to us today specifically because we are called to be his people, and yet we struggle still with waywardness. And if God wants to reach a wayward world that has completely given up on him, who better to use than people who were once a wayward people but now have been transformed? If we read Genesis through to Deuteronomy, we find Israel wants to go back to Egypt and Moses has to tell them where they've come from and therefore why they're going to where they're going. It is all about 
galvanizing Israel to understand they are God's people, not just a people in the world. If we read the historical books of the Old Testament, it is a constant litany of just how awful God's people treat one another and the nations around themselves and what needs to be done in order for redemption to come. If we read the wisdom books like Proverbs and Psalms, we find again and again an outlining of how damaged we are because of sin and what we need to do in order to deal with the lingering effects of sin when we ask for God's forgiveness and what the consequences for either of those actions will be. In the prophetic books, we have the sins of the people laid embarrassingly bare, but yet the redemption of God proclaimed as this great hope, if you will turn. And the Gospels reveal Jesus coming to be the solution to that sin. The New Testament letters deal constantly with sin lived out in the life of the church of God's people and Revelation details the final triumph of our Savior over all sin and what the world will look like when it is free and liberated from that constraint. We need to run to God's Word daily, not because we're holy people, but because we're not very holy and we want to be. Because we desperately need to be. Because as sick people we need medicine and this is the only place where we can find it. The only place where clear instruction is given and we are dealt with openly and honestly. God never once soft pedals our sin. It's worth too much for us to be redeemed. So he deals with us plainly and openly and it's hard for us but we must flee to God's word because it is for a wayward people, a people who struggle daily. We find God reveals his word, he reveals it to a wayward people and he reveals it to a wayward world. What I find fascinating about Micah is the, the place he occupies in the history of God's people. We find other prophets in the Old Testament were prophesying round about the same time and would have known who he was. They're certainly familiar with his words and we know Jeremiah in particular quotes Micah's words. Uh, and we find in Jeremiah 26, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah the king of Judah and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts. And he then details some of what Micah said and he goes on to say, did Hezekiah king of Judah and all Judah put him to death, put Micah to death for dealing so openly and plainly with their sin? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favour of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring greater disaster upon ourselves. Jeremiah is saying, we know from our own history, Micah said these things. And it's amazing for us to read back and hear Jeremiah say, and Hezekiah actually listened and actually did something with these words. And God was faithful. And just as Micah said... So God did. Shouldn't we be encouraged by that? And then he says to the people of his day, and we're doing something far worse than the people of Micah's day, so we should probably listen to the Lord too. God is revealing his word to a wayward world that by our level of understanding should really just do nothing with this, because who's going to listen to a message like this? We live in the age of self-esteem where we want to tell people how awesome they are every 30 seconds because we're terrified they might not believe in themselves and embody all of their potential and become who they were destined to be and all that other rubbish that Disney spout in every single movie and TV program they produce. We're so desperate to be worth something. But we kind of know that we're failing. 
And nobody wants to be told they're failing. Boris Johnson, uh, in, later in the report to his dad, uh, was um, outlined as a person who really bridled. He showed extreme, um, an extreme distaste for any criticism of him, despite the fact, his tutor says, that he didn't actually do any of the work I asked him to do, and then submitted essentially half of what I asked him for, and he was outraged that I marked him down for that, because he just couldn't believe it. That's kind of what we're all like. We don't want to be told we're not doing well. We want to be told we're great. But what happens if we're not? The word is written to a wayward world, not just to bash them and make them feel poor, but to help them realize who they are and what God can do to them if they will come and ask, if they'll cast themselves upon him. What have we got to say to ourselves as we struggle to live out our lives as Christians? What have we got to say to a world that wants nothing to do with God? There is an answer. There is. It doesn't feel like it sometimes, but there is. And the answer can't be politicians. We should support our politicians and we should do everything we can to make sure that we vote in good politicians. But they're never going to do enough. It cannot be self-help. We want it to be so desperately. But it can't be. Because we are not enough. It has to be something more, something more powerful, something more capable. We need the word of the Lord. And when we have that, when we put the word of the Lord in front of us and focus upon that, what we get is the Lord of the word. And he is the one who is able to truly transform our lives, to help us be just, to love mercy, and to walk humbly in this world, to glorify him as he's called us to. So as we begin our time in Micah, let us focus ourselves on the word of the Lord, not just to Micah and his day, but to us today, that we might be transformed and be his people faithfully for now and eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your goodness, and we give you thanks for the book of Micah. Lord, we are not as familiar with these words as we are perhaps with the Gospels or with Romans or Acts. And yet, Lord, this is something that you have inspired. And it's for our good, for our training in righteousness, for our rebuking perhaps. And so, Lord God, we ask as we embark upon our study of Micah that you would bless us all richly. That you would soften our hearts, Lord, and you would open our eyes. You would help us to see the sin that we still struggle with. Lord, you would help us to see the Savior that we have been so graciously provided with. Lord, you would strengthen us to live the lives you have called us to, so that we might glorify you in everything. And we might see a great many people brought into your kingdom. Lord God, we ask all this because we are your people. You called us by name. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would help us to walk in a manner that is fitting for children of the King, the Creator of the universe. Lord God, we ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.